Hello everyone and welcome again to Unbillable Boston. We have a terrific show for you today, along with Sarah Worley, medi mediator extraordinaire at Worley Conflict Resolution, and of course, the great Max Perlman, employment lawyer at Hirsch Roberts, and myself, David Yaz. We have a terrific guest today. It's Judge David Mills, longtime judge on the appeals court who has just a remarkable story about his, his journey. Stay tuned, because this show is going to be fantastic. Enjoy it. This one's for you, Boston. Boston's a different city than it was 20 years ago. The hope rises again, and the dream lives on. Larry Burke's not walking through that door, fans. The world will return to this great American city to run harder than ever and to cheer even louder. This is our f***ing city. It's our city, it's our podcast. Welcome back to Unbillable Boston. Sarah and Max are beside me as usual. How are you guys feeling? Oh, we're doing good. Great. It's dreary, cold Boston, and yet here we are uh, on a nice afternoon in the warm studios of uh, Hirsch Roberts Law Firm. And um, listen, we have a terrific guest today. This is a treat. So Judge David Mills has been a friend of mine for a long time. He was an appeals court judge for 11 years prior to that. He worked in the AG's office, he worked in the DA's office, he's been involved in Danvers politics, including being the town moderator. He's on the Board of Selectmen now, and an alum of St. John's and, and Boston College, and normally I would say a proud alum, uh, David, but um, there may be more to the story there on Boston College, mm, right? There's a little more. When I, <laughs> when I get called over to BC to speak every now and then, it is not by the president's office, it's the lesbian and gay groups, you know? Well, at least someone's and, calling you. Yeah, and I yeah. say, and I say, yes, I was, I am a lawyer. I was a lawyer. I am a judge. I was a judge in spite of and because of Boston College. So right. is that some ambivalence <laughs> or is that a little hot and cold? Yes, there is some hot and cold. That is. The, uh, yeah, and I just want to, that thanks, I'm glad, I'm glad you brought up Boston College because mm -hmm. um, my father was the federal lobbyist for the 23 years before his death in 1992. He was worked very, very closely with J. Donald Mona and then the president who brought, I believe, that college into the category of a major university mm -hmm. that provided provides uh, life for thousands of lucky kids who go to that place now. When I started going there in 1960, it was an overgrown nun school. The concentration was not on the quality of faculty. Um, it was uh, building buildings, and most of them, by the way, I think have been knocked down. I was up on the campus a couple of months ago actually speaking to the, um, to the lesbian and gay kids. So, yeah, Boston College is a major part of my story. Um, the well, let's start, if, if I may, David, let's start, uh, actually, just, just for the record, let's spend uh, one minute or, or what have you on uh, what you're doing now. So you're over at Rackman, Sawyer, and Brewster, right? Yeah, just I, be, I became constitutionally senile at age <laughs> 70 because of the Massachusetts <laughs> Constitution and was out looking, for, looking for, a, for a warm desk and a telephone. Right. Rackman, Sawyer, and Brewster. <laughs> they didn't give you directions to the pasture they were putting no, you out to? No. no. You have to find it on your own. Okay. Rackman, Sawyer, and Brewster is one of the very old established law firms in Boston. I think we are 160 years old. Mm -hmm. And it is a distinguished and a kind place. Lawyers over there have a pretty good reputation. Before I was a judge, I shared space for some 10 or 12 or 15 years in the Boston office of Rackman, Sawyer, and Brewster. So um, about 10 months after... 
I retired from being a judge. One of the lawyers over there, my old friend Sandy Matathia, he sends me a birthday greeting. So I call him up, I said, Sandy, how'd you know it was my birthday? He says, I've had it in my, in my diary for 30 years, why shouldn't I wish you a happy I said, that's nice. He said, what are you doing? I says, I'm doing nothing. I'm sucking my thumb, talking to my dog, running for selectman in Danvers. I'm doing a little, trying to volunteer to be a mediator. By the way, Sarah's here, and she's shaking her head. They say, lawyer, judges will be great mediators. <laughs> Let me tell you something. Used lawyers are a dime a dozen. Okay, and no, judges don't make necessarily great mediators. Some do, mm-hmm. but some don't. Those that are you never mind. What were we talking about? No, that we just wanted to know where. Uh, oh yeah. What kind of work you're doing? They in invited. Case. They invited me over there, and yeah. I'm Mr. Chips at the at the firm. Mr. Chips. What does that mean? It means that if there is any any younger lawyer. Mm-hmm. who thinks that she's made a mistake going into the law, I will sit and listen and counsel and probably okay. agree. No, I won't agree. <laughs> I'll try to help them talk out whatever their problem may be. And um, I do a limited practice there. I'm not in every day, but it's a wonderful, wonderful But so you're a mentor. You're, you're sort of I a... try to be a mentor, yeah. yes. Well, I think there that's fantastic. There and other places, I still continue. To be a mentor out at the Boston College Law School, again, to the LGBT students who have welcomed me back year after year after year because they want to have an older, mature, which is in quotes, Mm -hmm. um, graduate that they can just kind of have some confidence in that they are okay being who they are Mm -hmm. because it's not all rosy, even though it may sometimes look it from the outside. Even today, yeah. No. So let's go. Let's go back because if if you don't mind, David, let's talk about where you grew up and and what your experience was like as a young man. I grew up in Danvers, Massachusetts. I still live there. Um, my mother was one of ten children of Polish immigrants who couldn't speak English. Mm-hmm. To say that they lived on the other side of the tracks, there were no tracks, but they lived down by the river, which in those days was not the popular place that it is now. Yeah. And uh, she, my father was from Jamaica Plain, so I consider myself a Danvers guy and also a Bostonian very proudly. So uh, we grew up there. I was one of five kids. And uh, they were good people. My mother and father were really, really good people. They went by the book. They came through the Depression. They came through the Second World War. Uh, those were times of deprivation. Uh, my father was brought up as a, an Irish Catholic um, in the city of Boston, uh, indoctrinated um, in that way. Uh, my mother was, was brought up in a low self-esteem family of Polish immigrants um, who were terrified of themselves and had no self-esteem for themselves or to give to, to, give to their children. That's kind of how it was. We had everything in Danvers. It's a great town in some ways. Um, summer programs, uh, going up to the Danvers Park, there were always things to do the Danvers Fishing Game Club. Children, young people, I had lots of resource there. And uh, when I got through the junior high school, uh, I went to St. John's Prep, which also happens to be in Danvers, was very close. I I love this story. when I was in the seventh grade at Richmond Junior High School, we're talking before any of you were born times three, okay? Perhaps, yeah. One of my, one of my favorite teachers, Margaret Hayes, was an Irish Catholic woman, heavy. Margaret, Miss, Miss Hayes was a big girl. No, St. John's is obviously a, a Catholic school, but like 
how Catholic? We're not talking well, about nuns here, are we? First of all, Margaret Hayes, my seventh grade science teacher, sent me a message when I was in the eighth grade. Come to my room this afternoon. Mm-hmm. So I went to uh, I went to her room. She said, "Come with me." We went down to her car. She drove me three miles to St. John's Prep and brought me into the administration building. This is 1955. Mm -hmm. She took an application. She brought me to my house in Danvers, made me fill it out. And because of Margaret Hayes, I ended up at St. John's Prep, which was $200 a year, by the way, then. I think it's $19,000 or $20,000 now. <clears throat> it was a great school. David, what did you just ask? No, that's okay. So tell, tell us. <laughs> I get kind of carried away. People don't was it, was it, ask me about myself. What so I, when I, get a what I said was, and I really love it. Just, just read the cue cards. Come on. Yep. Just read the cue <laughs> okay, cards. Man. Stick, to the, te- right. stick, stick yeah. to the teleprompter. No, the. I guess what I was getting at is part of your story is being brought up as a, a, a Catholic young man and, and how that eventually led to a lot of literal uh, soul-searching for you, right? So did that start oh, at sort yeah. of St. St. John's Prep? Is, oh, yeah. Is it to this day, I wish I could change history. Uh-huh. To this day, I wish I could go back to 1956, be a typical heterosexual freshman at St. John's Prep, uh-huh. go through the dating thing, the proms, and be an ordinary human being and feel as though I was totally and completely a part of that school, that society, my community, and my home. And I had the gay thing growing down inside me yeah. uh, from, I don't know, when from the 6th or 7th or 8th or ninth grade. And I uh, knew enough to keep my mouth shut um, because the society that was my society uh, growing up in high school, in grammar school, in college, in law school, and in the first 10 or 15 years of being a lawyer was dramatically different for anybody. I didn't know another gay person until, wait a minute, 40 years, when I was 40 years old. So it's, me, I didn't know a person. Yeah. Yes, I knew a gay person. I just didn't know he or she was gay. Right, right. Okay, because we didn't talk about it. It was hidden. It was a disease. It was an intrinsic disorder then and now under the doctrine, official doctrine of the Roman Catholic Church. Would it, David, did I run away with this? No, no, answer? this was good. This is good. I have an aside, and that, that is that... The, the generation you're speaking of doesn't sound all that different than maybe we're actually not that much younger than you, you David. But well, you so must looking, use good moisturizers because you, all three of you all, are much younger oh, than I me. I just glob it on every day. But but looking at Max and Sarah, do you, would you guys agree that that it wasn't that much different when when we were kids? In other words, to be gay was something that we thought of as. Uh, You'll, you'll pardon me, but deviant. I mean, that that around the schoolyard, when kids would talk about it, that's the way it would be. Am I way off it, on that? It's it's hard to it's hard to acknowledge this, but that's that's right. Yeah, I, I'm I'm afraid I, I think. But that, it still yeah. is, Max. It still is. I'm not sure, David. Uh, In lots of ways, it still is because you still will hear kids joking about it. There are still thousands, millions, probably in this country of of young lesbian and gay kids who are in junior high school and high school who are still terrified of being discovered. But but aren't there a lot more role models out there, people who, who those folks can look to in the mainstream media and the main, in the mainstream yeah, celebrity, who, who they can say, that person fought, fought that fight, that person lived that life, I can too. Well, they'll get to, I hope they will get to the I can too. When I came out to my mother, 
uh, 20 years ago after my father died and I told her that I was having this real struggle and I said, Mom, I think I'm gay and I hope that it won't keep us any more separate that, than, than, than necessary. She crooked her little Polish head, turned it one way and the other, and she said, well, you know, your brother Franny, blah, 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 and your sister, blah, 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 and she goes through the, um, the social, sexual issues of my other four siblings, and she turns her head to me, she says, and there are some good people, you know, Elton, good, Elton John is gay. <laughs> I said, jeez, I cried for three days. I said, that's you not mean? true, is it? I said, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. and I wasted I, I, I cried for three days that I waste 50 years of separation from my mother, let alone the rest of my family, the rest of the town of Danvers, the lawyers that I worked with, my school. How much did I waste by being hidden? It was really, that was the one thing that brought home to me. And yes, indeed. And of course, there are gay role models. And every day in the newspaper, um, there is something. But not just newspaper. How about the locally? I mean, we have, we have uh, Judge Lank. We have you as, as a role model for lawyers and for pro professionals that, uh, that that people can be who they are it's come slow it's come slow yeah. thank goodness Governor Patrick just appointed Mark Mason to the Superior Court please keep in mind mm -hmm. the Superior Court I think is 165 years old he is the first gay judge in the history of the Massachusetts Superior Court is that right? so this just happened two weeks ago on the eve of, of, of Governor Patrick's departure Probate, probate court, I think, has a, a couple. Yes, uh, Judge yes, indeed. Maldonado, yeah. I want to yeah. say. Um, um, there might be another, anyway. But the uh, yeah, the, the chief judge uh, of the uh, of the uh, there was a no. I don't know. I want to be careful about I, who the hell. I don't want to be outing. <laughs> no, that's exactly are, what we want to do. Are, no, I'm Anything not to me. get people to you listen to our You can call them and ask them to come on the show. Yeah. There are a number of gifted, talented, superb Massachusetts judges who are uh, who are women who happen to be lesbian. And most of them are married, and they have spouses and children, and it's uh, what a to me what a healthy and wonderful thing that yeah. is. But yeah. who they are, um, go watch them get into the car with their spouse and kids, I guess, and then you'll know. Judge, I wanted to ask you about your experience at Boston College as a mentor because um, I was at the Pride Parade last year, and um, don't get upset with me about this, but. I just finished paying a quarter of a million dollars cash to the College of the Holy Cross to educate one of my children. And I was thrilled to see a group of marchers at the Pride Parade carrying a banner with the logo of the College of the Holy Cross. Mm -hmm. And the banner said, the LGBTQ alumni of the College of the Holy Cross thank the college for its ongoing support of our effort. And I'm delighted that Holy Cross is embracing the community, is supporting them. Is it the same experience at Boston College? It is not. But I, I really, I know, you know, people say, oh, I'm glad you asked that question. Sarah, <laughs> I'm glad you asked that question. That's a genuine one. Okay. I came to, I, I started to, well whose bell is that ringing? That was I, was giving her, I was giving her credit for a good this, question. Oh, okay. okay. Thank you, Sarah. It's important we to can, me, Judge. <clears throat> we can do it a different way. This, oh, this, I like the, yeah, We're fully good. loaded here, okay. Judge. Yeah. In around 1992, I was 50 years old. I had tried to come to terms with the reality that I was not going to mature, no matter how many wonderful women dated me, okay, and there were plenty, and I attempted to love them, and they truly loved me. And by the way, I'm a square. They're all fortunately married to nice people, and square with me, and we have dinner every now and then, okay? Mm. They now know the story. So I'm 50 years old. Um, 
There is a, I have, uh, I'm, at a, at a, I'm at a lawn party in Gloucester, Massachusetts, and there is a lesbian professor from Boston College who is present. And um, again, I don't want to say her name. Let's say it's not Mary. Okay. I say, Mary, what is Boston College doing these days to mutilate lesbian and gay people? She said, hmm, my, we have a little anger. I said, a little anger. We have rage. I have rage. I have years and years. I have a thousand years worth of rage. She said, well, you better go see Professor John McDar at the Boston College. So she gave me the number of a professor at BC who is still a professor who was out then, who's out now, who was the out member of the faculty that lesbian and gay kids could secretly go and talk to. And he's married, and he has a beautiful son, and he's a dear friend. So I called him up. I said, John, Mary told me that I should call you, and I'm so-and-so, and I'm a graduate of the law school and an undergraduate, and I am trying to come to terms with being gay, and I am really screwed up. He said, well, why don't we have lunch someday? Um, three weeks from tomorrow. I said, no, 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 John, I don't think you quite understand. I need to see you tomorrow, okay? <laughs> John, let me go out to BC, and I will get to the, uh, Sarah, I am attending to your, to your question. Thank you, um, I went out to um, I went out to the college and met with John McDowell. I had a very tearful, Sometimes I call Boston colleges that pertain to lesbian and gay people at that time a cesspool. But I guess there's still part of me that wishes that it weren't. He gave me <clears throat> four or five books and said, we have to start something at Boston College like the, uh, the Harvard Lesbian and Gay Caucus. I said, gee, that sounds wonderful. He knew the names of several graduates, who, uh, and I knew a few from the law school, I guess. No, I learned. A bunch of us came together. We didn't know each other. There were 15 or 20 of us. This is only 22 years ago. We met in the conference room, by the way, of Rackman, Sawyer, and Brewster. This is when I shared office space there. In their major conference room, they welcomed us. Joe Kachubas, president of the Boston Bar Association at one point, by the way, invited us to take over the Boston Bar Association. So. Boston College lesbian and gay graduates were welcome in certain areas. Father Monin was the president, and I saw him last Wednesday night and said hello. Um, we tried for five years to form an organization at Boston College for the purpose of bridging the divide between lesbian and gay graduates, who, by the way, in a college of 175,000 graduates, let us conservatively say there are five or 6,000 of us who are lesbian and gay. And let us also statistically say that some of those people are dying every day because some of us get old and die. And those lesbian and gay graduates, um, my age and older, who are dying, are dying with no connection. Absolutely no connection with their university community. For some of us, we say it's a cesspool. Who wants to be connected to a cesspool? Well, it isn't a cesspool anymore. It's a magnificent university. There is good to be connected to what is being done good for students and for the world. So uh, we tried for five years. We could never get the president's office to respond to us, the board of trustees, the only trustee who stood up for the lesbian gay students in the early 90s at Boston College was Wayne Budd, 
um, who was former United States attorney for Massachusetts, a very distinguished graduate of the undergrad, my, my brother's classmate in the class of 1963 at Boston College. And, and of course, pr probably the most prominent African-American lawyer in in the Commonwealth, I can Certainly, or, or, in, or in, top in, three or four. In anyway. my knowledge, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And his, by the way, his daughter, Kimberly, is a superb Superior Court Judge in Massachusetts, yeah. a brilliant. Yeah, yeah superb. In any event, <clears throat> we tried for... Max, said, in case next time you're in front Just of her, right? Just in front yeah. of her, yes. Right. Yeah. Well done, yeah. Yeah. well done. Yeah. For five years, we attempted to form a play, and... We grew to 350 members. We had annual dinners. We would have Frank Bellotti never missed a single dinner. Frank's a graduate of the law school. Suzanne Del Vecchio, when she was then a Superior Court judge, wouldn't miss it. Paula Gold, a former Secretary of Consumer Affairs, my classmate at the law school. There were all of these wonderful straight people. Um, all of the presidents of the Boston College Alumni Association in those years would come to our dinner and bring their spouses and try to provide all the support they could for this effort. Is that, Judge, a, a, um, sorry if this is a parenthesis of sorts, is that particularly touching to you when someone who is not gay and yet it is their cause or they're passionate about it for whatever reason? Well, it means, it means a great deal to me. Um, yeah. Dick Renahan. Sarah, you guys probably sure. know Dick yeah, Renahan, yeah. who I think is one of the finest lawyers in Massachusetts, by the way. When Still he, sharp as a tack. When he argued in the appeals court, he could present his case in about three minutes because it would be, would be eight bullet points, mm -hmm. and it would be exactly the case that was before the court. A brilliant lawyer, a wonderful guy. He, he didn't know what the hell gay meant in 1993, and he met with us, and he came to our dinner. He brought his wife. And every time we met with a president of the BC, Jack Connor, who I think recently retired from the Superior Court, mm -hmm. he was a year behind me in, in law school, a fine guy. He had been a seminarian. He may have been a priest. So he was the president of the Boston College alumni, the Greater University Alumni Association in 1994 or five. So okay. I met with, go ahead. If I, sorry to interrupt you, Judge, but um, one of the reasons I ask is because it, that the same-sex marriage was the one of the hot, if not the hottest, topics during the period when I was running Lawyers Weekly, and uh, it was an interesting journey for us because under the original ownership of Lawyers Weekly, when it was family-owned oh, by the Pollock family, Ed Pollock happened to be uh, very, very, slightly to the right of you know Darth, the Darth Vader yeah. and Attila yeah, the Hun, I remember right? that. Yeah, and. Um, wouldn't let us touch the issue, and then the shackles were off finally in 04 when they sold the company. Um, I wrote about gay marriage so much that I noticed, you guys know the, the Google auto finish, when you start to type someone's name into Google, yeah. it'll sort of anticipate what you're going to say. So I noticed that when I Googled myself, <coughs> I do that every morning before I leave the office, uh, before I leave the house, um, I wrote, uh, I would write David Yaz, and the the first thing that came up was David Yaz Lawyers Weekly. The second thing was David Yaz Sharon. The third one was David Yaz Gay. Because, and I just, I, I think people were trying to 
check in as to whether I was gay just because I had written about it so David, much. David, you are. Do you, do you care to comment on that? <laughs> yeah, David, you are a good-looking guy. So there's a, you know, you don't have to be gay to look good. Okay? It, I, you said this helps, off. You said it, this off the air, but you, you've, you've exposed the secret of us straight men that we secretly want to be gay because because gay gay men are more fashionable. They're 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 neat. They have their act together a lot better than us. So we sometimes ugly old straight men say. I don't want any old fag hitting on me, and I would, and my response would be, well, well, most of us have very good taste. You've got nothing to worry about. <laughs> um, let's actually take a break here. We'll return with uh, Judge, <laughs> Judge David Mills, and the the hilarity and the conversation will continue. Come back in a moment. Thanks. Hey, it's Lauren Beckham Falcone from The Lauren and Wally Show on WROR 105.7. You're listening to Billable Boston. Is it unbillable? <laughs> <laughs> All right, and we're back on Unbillable Boston with uh, Judge David Mills. And unfortunately for the listeners, you've missed a, just a tremendous conversation we just had off the air with, with the judge. We were trying to figure out what we should cover in the remaining time we have with him. And, and you said that I'm going to be invited back. That's time, right. So I'm saving all of, all that stuff for the next show. Never mind. Go, that's go right. Ahead. No, Let's that's go. good. But so we, I mean, we've talked a lot about your journey and all that, and and to to do a, probably a poor job of sort of summarizing what happened since. I mean, you became a terrific lawyer, well-regarded, eventually became a, a leader in the lesbian and gay community, worked with uh, uh, Mayor Menino on a case that was sort of the precursor to the Goodridge same-sex marriage case. Um, but in talking, we whittled this down to a couple things we wanted to cover, and one was, Judge, you shared with me once a great story about a conversation you had with someone else at a, at a conference. I did, I did. So go ahead and tell us, tell us that, because I think it's but we can't. But the court can't afford it anymore. And the yeah. last appellate judges conference that I went to, I went with Mitch Sikora, who's also now re- retired. But he's a bachelor, I'm a bachelor, and we could afford to go to the last conference. <laughs> but the next to the, the next to last conference, uh, New England appellate judges conference, we were up, I think, in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, that particular year for our conference. And we had the Friday night dinner at maybe Strawberry Bank Restaurant. There was some restaurant up there. We went to a nice place. And the coordinators of the of the dinner wouldn't let me sit next to, you know, so-and-so from, from Massachusetts. Everybody was, was spread out. And at the table where I was sitting, there was a judge from the Connecticut Supreme Court right to my left. There was John Dooley from the Vermont Supreme Court who was... Not my classmate. He was a year behind me at BC Law. We were on the law review together, and he wrote the concurring opinion in the Vermont case. Some um, what was it, twenty years ago? Or the mm-hmm. That was the, the that preceded Goodrich, right? That was the yes. Civil oh union yeah, case. that yeah. was the civil union case right. in, in Vermont. And he still needed a haircut, by the way. When we were students, <laughs> he never cut his hair. Does it? So. Um, we're talking around the table, and there was a New Hampshire judge there, and I had clerked for Judge Bounds, who I adored in New Hampshire, and I'm very fond of New Hampshire. So this particular judge, who's on the New Hampshire Supreme Court, knew Judge Bounds' son, who's a lawyer in Laconia, so we're talking blah, blah, blah. And I mentioned something about being a gay judge in Massachusetts. So the Connecticut judge pops up and says, I don't like that gay marriage thing. Silence at the, uh, silence at the table. I said, sorry? He said, I don't like that gay marriage thing. Silence at the table. 
I said, well, judge. I didn't call him judge. I called him by his first name. I said, yeah, I'm gay. I've buried both of my parents. I've been paying a mortgage to the Danvers Savings Bank for some 30 years. Um, I've, I've, I've raised three dogs who are dead. I take out my garbage. I, I iron my own shirts because I'm too cheap to send them <laughs> out. Um, and I have a great bunch of colleagues, and I've practiced law for, you know, 35 years or something. Well, that's not what I mean. It's just it, it's the gay marriage thing that I don't like the most. He had said he didn't. Did he say he didn't care for your lifestyle? Oh, yes. He said, I don't like that lifestyle. And that's when I responded to him about taking the garbage out. That's your lifestyle. And then, yeah. Taking so the garbage that's, out. That's yeah. my, and burying my parents. Just like you, and, schmuck. Yeah. yeah. And being in the town meeting. and sure. so. Yeah. so he said, well, it isn't that. That's not what I mean. It's the gay marriage thing. Silence. I said, well, you can be sure of this, Judge. I am not asking you to marry me, and I never will. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. oh dear! And what was the expression on his face? Um, he was—he then became, became, I would say, apologetic. But I think that he was really kind of well. I mean, you know, if you open yourself up to that, okay, and he was not the least bit considerate about who was sitting around the table with us, who, by the way, were by and large allies of civil rights for all people, including lesbian and gay people. So he probably felt a little bit out of place in any event. I don't. This know. reminds me of uh, classic awkward moments at uh, banquets and and uh, gala dinners. Uh, probably maybe not as bad as the, the John Riggins incident of 1980, whatever. You don't remember that? I don't remember this. No. I'll tell it extremely quickly, but John Riggins was the running back of the Washington Redskins. Somehow ended up at some gala dinner at the same table as Sandra Day O'Connor. Well. And Riggins, being the macho guy that he was, had too much to drink and the night let's just say the night ended with Riggins saying to her quite audibly loosen up Sandy baby <laughs> you didn't hear that story no, I never heard that oh story. it's classic um, anyway so we have just a couple minutes left um, Max you had a good question for uh, for David do you want to prompt that sure so I think uh, I, I, some of us appeal appear before the uh, appeals court and in, uh, in different different courts here in Massachusetts and we're all always trying to figure out what is the secret sauce for a litigator um, and I'd love to hear since you got the chance to see so many good litigators over the years if you can give us some examples uh, of some litigators who were really really good and why Max I wouldn't know good litigators because I I say that a litigator is a trial court attorney right. or litigation more describes the work of the trial attorney. So I say as to appellate attorneys, um, there was there's one particular, because I've already mentioned Dick Renahan. Be brief, be absolutely precise, look the judges in the eye, be confident of the, of the position, and have the position totally defined and crystallized to its essence. That's what Dick Renahan did in two or three or four of the 15 or so minutes. There was another lawyer, her first name is Kathleen, and I should know, she is now a judge of the Brighton District Court. Hmm. Irish last name, um, but she argued two or three times when I was sitting on the panel, and I was totally, oh, it is so sad that I don't, rem I don't remember her We have name. a crack research team working on it. Yeah, it might be O'Connell Which means Sarah's was, on her smartphone. Yeah, it was, um, yeah, she's at and what was Brighton. And what was it about her? Probably, 
she had an issue that was not her strong issue, and she said, Your Honors, issue number four is something I just assume not argue unless you have any questions on it. It is not our strong argument. I was always so impressed when people would do that, and the Essex County District Attorney's Office um, was pretty impeccable. Um, uh, we didn't get to see Ellen Graydon too often. She was off, she, she ran the place, but we saw wonderful appellate attorneys from the Essex DA's office. Now they're criminal cases. What was so noteworthy is that if they had something where error had occurred, they would confess error, and. Um, I thought that that was really, really appropriate, and all it did was add to the credibility of that office and those briefs when they would come in, and they were invariably um, superb. As far as individual, um, I, I'm, I, I wish I knew a little in advance. I could have thought some more. I don't. Uh, I don't have any particular. Those are good names. examples. Yeah. Well, um, well, it's another reason I wish why. I, Kath, Kathleen, I wish I could remember her name. No dice, Sarah? I'm showing up in Brighton. Okay. No, I'm, I'm okay. She's a, she, she was sworn in maybe a year ago. as a, Maybe she's a circuit, riding circuit. I'm not sure. Um, but when I heard that she had been nominated for a judgeship, I think I even wrote a lot. I don't know if you're supposed to write letters. At my <laughs> age, I can do about anything I want. Cause what, the guy, what can they do to me now? But I, a superb, superb lawyer, and I, um, I, I was so glad. We that will update that info the next time we have you back. Good. Listen, thank you so much for being here. I mean, wasn't he tremendous, kids? Absolutely. Yay. I mean, yes. There was actual applause mixed in with the artificial applause there, but 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 thank you, Judge. You know we're pals, so and I always enjoy talking to you. But it's it's uh, fantastic, interesting, and I say without exaggeration, brave of you to to tell us about you know where you got to where you are now. And I'm just happy we're friends. So I used to that. I used to cry when I tell the story. Yeah. Now it's so boring. I just yawn. <laughs> it's so nice to have a studio audience. <laughs> Well, thank you. We're, uh, we'll close out the show. And um, Judge David Mills, thanks for joining us. He's over at Rackman Sawyer and Brewster. So you ha can the people visit you? You have office hours and such? Just give me a call. Just give them a call. my cell phone. It's thank you. in pocket. <laughs> thank you for joining us on Unbillable Boston. Thanks to Sarah Worley and Max Perlman. I'm David Yaz. See you next time.